0: Today we are going to be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 40. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as the Lord had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. And they brought it to Jesus. After throwing their coats on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began praising joyfully in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were keeping silent, the stones would cry out. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Man, good to see y'all this morning. Yeah, it's been about planting this church officially around four years ago, and God's just been real faithful to us, and I'm just glad to see y'all here. Now, today is what traditionally is known as Palm Sunday. And somebody texted me something, and he said I wouldn't read it. So I'm about to read it. Let me tell you what Psalm said. It's called Palm Sunday because Satan is about to catch these hands. Deep <laughs> on the streets, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just playing a little bit. So, so Palm Sunday is the Sunday right before Easter Sunday. Uh, it, it's cel- it celebrates and commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus entered the city knowing he would be tried and crucified. And he welcomed his fate to rise from the grave and save us all. So on that day, what we just heard that was read, Jesus was entering into the, to the city of Jerusalem knowing full well that he's about to suffer and die for our sins and one of the things I love about about Paul, psalm sunday see I'm, I'm gonna get it all messed up Paul sunday is this when we see Jesus when we think about him we, we think about him most of the time on the cross and we see him on the cross we see him bleeding we see him weak we're tempted to get it a little bit twisted because our most common image of Jesus is on the cross we forget that he is the king of creation we forget that he is the all-powerful one. And so on Palm Sunday, it is this reminder before he gets up on the cross about who he actually is. So in verse 29, we see that, that our king journeyed to Jerusalem. It says, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mountain of Olives. That's, that's, that's the outskirts of Jerusalem. I can't imagine all the thoughts that are going through his head as he is approaching. If you remember in the garden, when he prayed, it says he was so disturbed that he, he sweat and cried tears of blood. I don't know what is going on in his mind because he knows all things. He knows he's about to enter into this great trial and temptation. And again, like I said, sometimes our picture of Jesus is a little off. Our Savior does not undergo suffering because he is weak. Too often, uh, our picture of Jesus is unbalanced. He truly is meek and humble like a lamb. But at the exact same time, he is fierce and powerful like a lion. Don't get it twisted. Now, y'all remember that, uh, that little bracelet back in the day? You used to say, what would Jesus do? Right? You, you look, go into different situations. I just want you to know that flipping tables is one of the things that Jesus did. All right, so one of you, don't don't ask, what would Jesus do? Because I might flip your table. But the idea is this. Jesus has authority, complete control over everything. And this text that we're reading and exploring today is demonstrating that he is the king. Now, we come to this next story, and it seems kind of strange. Verse 30, it says, it said, go into the village. Jesus said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there. On which no one has ever set, Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, his owner said to him, Why are you untying my colt? Otherwise, why are you stealing my stuff? He said, The Lord needs it. And they went on about their business. Listen, no one can say that unless they own it right now if i come to your house and i'm like let me get that xbox and you said no it's mine i say the lord has needed what you gonna say like now i pay for it this is mine you can't just take what's mine however if you playing xbox at my house and i say you need to give me the controller you say why i say because it's mine We need to understand that Jesus has sovereign authority and control over every piece of this universe. Psalm 50 verse 10, it says, For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Because Christ is fully God, he can make that claim that that colt, that donkey that belonged to this individual, he can say, actually, that is mine. And in reality, every person in here belongs to him. What does that mean? That means that you cannot have sovereign control over yourself. It means that you can't just decide what to do with yourself because you don't even belong to you. Because you were created by God, you belong to him. And you must submit yourself to him and say, Lord Jesus, you have sovereign control over my life. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, it says, the earth and everything in it. Are you in it? Okay. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. See, the world belongs to him because he created it. In other words, God has a patent on you and all of creation. Now, you know what a patent patent is, you know, you see something and it says TM at the end. You know, there's a time where we used to record our services. We still do, but Facebook tried to take it down. They said, you singing songs that you didn't write. Did you get permission? So we had to go through that process. The idea is when something belongs to somebody else, when something has a patent or a trademark, you can't just do whatever you want with that. It's illegal to do things without patents and trademarks without the creator's permission. yet some of us don't realize that that the TM is on us and that we belong to God. And seldomly do we say, well, can I do this? Can I make this decision? Should I go down this road? No, 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 you cannot do whatever you want with something that belongs to another. The reality is all of our belongings are borrowed. The Bible has this concept of a steward. A steward is a person who is employed to oversee the affairs of another. So let's make it plain. Let's say if I send my kids to a babysitter, and the babysitter says, I can do whatever I want with your kids. No, you cannot. Why? Because they my kids. You can't do it. You better ask me. You can't do whatever you want to do. Right? Right? Or suppose you got some money in the bank, and the banker says, uh, I'm going to just borrow a little bit of it and buy something, something. Wait, wait, wait a minute, sir. Sir, sir, I did not signed a paper. That's not your money. you holding it for me. you watching over it for me, but you can't do whatever you want to do with my money. Again, we belong to the Lord. Therefore, we can't do whatever we want to do with ourselves without first speaking to him. You can't do whatever you want to do with stuff that don't belong to you. See, in reality, we have to use our stuff, whatever we have, to honor the Lord. Your life and your possessions are at his disposal, not yours. Why? Because he is the creator. If you create something, it's yours. We get to verse 35, we see something that our king is worthy of royal treatment. Thirty five says, Then they brought it, the donkey to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on. And as he was going, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, I need to tell you a story. One time, one time, uh, I was a I was a missionary in East Asia, and when when in this particular country they didn't have any knowledge. Of who Jesus was. You couldn't say Jesus, and they're like, oh yeah, I know what it is. And so when you start telling somebody about, about the Lord, you got to start like in Genesis, right? You got to start with, there is a God. He created all things. And so we went through this long process of, we started with what with, with Adam and Eve went to, to Abraham and went on down the road. And I remember the guy who was sharing the gospel with me, one day he read something out of the book of Isaiah. And when he read something out of the book of Isaiah to this guy we were sharing the gospel with, He read it, and he said, do you think this was from the Old Testament or the New Testament? And the guy was like, it's obviously from the New Testament because it's obviously talking about Jesus. My friend said, no, no, no. That's in the Old Testament. Now, I ain't never seen somebody jack a Bible at somebody's hand, but it happened. He jacked that Bible. He's looking at it. He's like, how in the world? Listen, the Bible has prophecies hundreds of years before Jesus came to verify the truth of who he is. Even the fact, that the seemingly insignificant fact that he came to Jerusalem on a donkey is a fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout and triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. All that he is doing is fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies, verifying who he actually is. And what I love it says about Zechariah 9, it gives us some descriptive words of who Jesus is. It says that Jesus is righteous. Meaning what? He is sinless. There is never a point in time where he transgressed God's law. That's the the craziest thing is Jesus' family was around. If he made the claim that he didn't sin and he did sin, surely somebody would be like, no, no, Jesus. Jesus, you remember? You you was there, right? But no, no, he's completely sinless, always obeying God with 100% of who he is. Not only is he righteous, he is victorious. One of the reasons that the crowds were praising him is because they remembered the miracles that he had done. That when someone was blind, he would open their eyes. That when someone couldn't hear, he would open their ears. That even when his best friend Lazarus died, what did he do? He raised him from the dead. There's no obstacle that is too large for him. He is victorious. But yet the last little descriptor seems counterintuitive. He's righteous. He's victorious. He's humble. I don't know how many victorious people you've seen, but when I see victorious people, a lot of times they don't seem so humble, right? they like, look what I just did. But not so with King Jesus. He is so humble that though he was in heaven— he stooped down to come and enter this world and experience all the problems, the trials, the frustrations. The Scripture even says that there is no suffering that you can go through that Jesus does not identify with. You've been betrayed. he been betrayed. Somebody done said something crazy about you. Somebody done said something crazy about him. You've been hit. he been hit. There's no amount of suffering that he does not identify with. Because although he is righteous and he is victorious, he is also humble. And then just look how they honor him. It says they're spreading their clothes out like, like, a, like a red carpet. There was no red carpet, so their clothes were the red carpet. Now listen, when I played basketball with some of, my, some of these, these boys in the neighborhood, shout out, A lot of times, they take their shoes off. That sounds counterintuitive, don't it? Why you gonna take your shoes off? We about to play, it's basketball shoes, bro. They say, I want to keep them nice. I don't want to get a crease in them. Now listen, listen, here's the deal. However nice you think of stuff you got, you got to remember what it was like back in the day. They put in their clothes and dirt and grime and other stuff, And they don't even got no washing machine. Yeah? They they have this costly worship. I got to put this down for him. And it's not going to be easy to fix what I put down. But I need to show how much I honor him because the king is worthy. Worthy of, of obedience and honor, not just when it is convenient, but worthy of obedience and honor when it's costly. Beloved, is it, is it costly to honor him with periodic Sunday attendance? Is that costly to you? Or rather, is he saying, no, no, you owe me everything. That is the costly honor that I have come to get. And what's what interesting is when they're praising him, they're quoting from Psalm 118, the psalm we read uh, this morning. It says, he who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed from the house of the Lord we bless you. See, this psalm is about the one who comes in the name of the Lord to lead and deliver God's people. And again, the Bible is assuring us. Are you confused about who that is? It is him, as the prophecies foretold. He comes to save. He comes to deliver. He comes to defeat God's enemies. He comes to set God's people free. And in verse 39 and 40, we need to understand that the king is worthy of all praise. In verse 39, it says, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. See, the point is some do not want to see the extravagant praise that is owed to Jesus. I don't know, some of y'all who, who really follow the Lord, everybody, everybody ever said to you, hey man, chill, man, it ain't that serious. You're going a little bit too hard. See, the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. They saw that he was the religious leader that the people loved, and they wanted to be the religious leader. The Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe in his claims. They claimed that he was a liar. The Pharisees did not want to see such extravagant praise poured out. People taking their clothes off and putting them out, like, hey man, y'all can like him, but chill out. So it's a bit too extreme. Can, can, you, can you calm it down a little bit? But listen, if we follow Jesus, we praise him no matter who is jealous. If we follow Jesus, we praise him no matter who doesn't believe. We follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what others think of our devotion, it doesn't matter if they think it's extreme. Is he not worthy of our whole life? Now, what's interesting is, is, is they, they say, yo, man, can, y'all, can you get your followers and shit out a little bit? Y'all y'all, y'all and chill out. And Jesus says something that kind of is, it makes, it's like, what, what is he talking about? The stones will cry out. If they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. What he's indicating is this. It would be an act of injustice for these people not to praise me. And creation, which belongs to God, would shout and say, no, 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 he is old praise. He is old devotion. He is old honor. Creation would witness to the glory of God if these people would not. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 30, it says, uh, Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Who is the witness? Heaven and earth. Beloved, if we don't offer him praise, creation will stand at the day of judgment and say, what were you doing? Did you know who you were standing in front of? See, this gets to us. It's not simply a neutral thing to not offer him praise. No, 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 no. He is owed it. It is due to Him. And if you don't praise Him, it's not simply that you are indifferent, but that you are rejecting what is true. I love thinking about that day on Palm Sunday where, where He is honored and glorified. Because we praise Him, not just for who He is, but for what He's done our king died for us. Remember, Christ went to Jerusalem with full knowledge of what was in store. In Luke 9, chapter, like 10 chapters beforehand, it says, when the days were coming to close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He saw the suffering. It wasn't hidden from him. He knew every intricacy of what he would have to suffer. Nevertheless, he set his face and he says, I'm going there to save my people. And y'all, the praise in Jerusalem turned into condemnation. See, he entered Jerusalem hearing praises, but at the end of the week, he heard curses. He entered Jerusalem and they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But a couple of days later, they would say, Crucify him. He came into Jerusalem with, with, with people laying down their clothes for him. And a couple of days later, he would be crucified with no clothes. He came to Jerusalem to save his people, and his people rejected him. And he, knowing full well that this would happen, went anyway. Now, it's real easy to look at Jerusalem and be like, why y'all so fickle? Why, y'all, why y'all flip the script so quick? Y'all seemed real happy on Sunday and on Friday. Y'all seem real angry. What happened? The reality is the same hypocrisy that we see in the city of Jerusalem, we can see it in ourselves. Now, when things are going good, when money's in the pocket, when you got everything you want, you be like, I love God. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Y'all know, y'all know, y'all be feeling all kinds of good. But listen, in a different setting, among different people, those words of blessing don't come out the mouth. Listen, there was one person That was with Jesus this whole time. And he flipped. You know, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, you know Judas was with him, right? You know, everybody was praising. What you think Judas was doing? You know what I mean? Like, are we praising now? Then a week later, in the dead of night, among a different group of people, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And you can look at Judas and be like, man... You tripping, Judas? Why would you do that? But beloved, we we live like Judas. We don't offer him praise all the time. We live like Judas when we count the cost and say it's not worth it today. We live like Judas when we look at financial gain as more important than obeying the Lord. That's all of us. Nevertheless, Jesus came, and he still died for us. He's on that cross not because he is guilty. He's on that cross because of our sin and rebellion. Now, you know what the end of the story is. He didn't stay dead, though. Psalm one eighteen twenty two. that same song we read, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Yeah? So the stone that was rejected because the foundation of this glorious house that belongs to God, this stone that was cast away, rises again, and he creates this entity called the church. And this house is going to honor God, not because they are so good, because the stone that the builders rejected will affect a change in the heart. Listen, this stone that the builders rejected, Rejected is the stone that you stand on for salvation. So don't reject him. This text shows that we owe all our praise to him. So if you don't know Christ, I urge you to come to Christ. Now let's listen. I just, I like keeping it real. We live in South Carolina. Ain't no way you ain't heard nothing about Jesus. You lived here, right? You heard something about him, right? You, you heard, you probably like, I heard all that before. Listen, here's the reality. Before I followed Christ, I could have repeated to you a lot of the stuff I said. I could have said it all. Yeah, he died for sin, da, 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 da. Here's the difference, and I want you to, here's the difference. A lot of people will claim Christ as Savior, but they will not claim his, him as King. You hear me? A lot of people say, yeah, he saves me. But a lot of people won't say, therefore, he has say in what I do with my life. Now, listen, I remember the Lord, the Lord saved me when I was in high school. Now, like I told you, from a young age, I could have said a lot of the stuff about Jesus that was correct. But there became a day when I said, I don't only understand that you died for sinners, but I understand that you died for me. I don't only understand that you are the king of creation. I understand that you are my king. And y'all, he won me over with his love. Here's the interesting thing. Nobody had to convince me I was a sinner. That was not the argument we was having. If you was like you're a sinner, I know. But what changed is when I realized even though I was a sinner that Christ still died for me. It does not matter what you did, what you have done, the secrets that you have kept. Beloved, you need to understand that Christ Jesus loves you enough to die for your sins. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to praise him. Listen, we don't need to let the rocks crowd against us. No, no, no. When we sing, when we praise, we're saying, I offer you everything. And lastly, we need to obey Christ. Our our king is worthy of obedience. The equation is simple. If he died for us, should we not live for him? If he died for us, should we not live for him? Y'all have been following Jesus for about 15 years now. He ain't never let me down. And he renews and, and, and restores me all the time. He reminds me of his great love, and I have zero regrets. And for everybody under the sound of my voice, I don't want you to have regrets. I don't want you to stand on that day of judgment and say, well, I thought I had more time. I don't want you to stand there and creation witnesses against you as you had the opportunity to worship, but you did not. Beloved, come to him. He loves you. He will save you. He will redeem you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness. But I pray that you would pour out your love afresh today. That you would remind us of what your scripture says, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I pray even today that you would awaken hearts to your love. That they may follow you and be satisfied in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.